In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. As you're seated, please turn your Bible to the book of John. John chapter 10, and today we'll be looking at verses 1 through 10. We've been in a sermon series on Jesus in his own words, dealing with seven I am statements of Jesus, seven times where Jesus says I am, and then he gives some description of himself and something that tells us who he is, that we would know how to uh, respond to him, that we know what we're believing as we believe in him, and we know what he's giving to us as you believe in him. We learn what resources that we have in him. And in fact, we learn a lot about who we are as we look to the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. And so uh, John 10 verses 1 through 10 leads us to our third I am statement. Uh, Jesus saying, I am the door. Um, I saw a couple of people leaving. Again, our children's um, junior worship is available in the side room um, as you uh, have children who may want to be participating in that today. Um, John 10, 1 through 10. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? John 10, 1 through 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls out his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of street speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. You may be seated. Um, are, are there any game show fans in the room? Some of you have watched game shows. I remember when I was a kid, um, during vacations, uh, you know, I mean, I always remember growing up, vacations could be rather boring enough that I was ready to go back to school uh, when summer was over. And one of the ways I passed time was by watching game shows. I watched The Price is Right. I remember watching The, the Price is Right. And with all the dramas of this, of this show that was going on, uh, one of the big ones was, uh, was the selection of a prize. And the contestants who were up there would be able to cho- choose behind what's in door number one or, or behind door number two or door number three. And you'd wonder which one would they pick and why would they pick it? You know, would they pick the car? You know, that dream car, would they pick that, that luxury vacation? Would they, would they pick that, that new kitchen set that they always um, wanted? Which one would they pick? And then what would they have to do in order to get that prize? You know, that image came to me a couple times as I was meditating on Jesus' words where he says, I am the door of the sheep. Um, in John 10, we see here that Jesus uses the metaphor of sheep and his sheep pen to point to important spiritual truths. Uh, the metaphor um, was understandable to them, although we see uh, down here in verse 6 that they, they couldn't understand what he was saying. I think they understood sheep 
doors and sheep pen, they didn't understand what he was getting to. That's what we want to look at today. Uh, but we also understand what a door is, right? I mean, we understand the door to our front house. And, you know, as we enter into it, there's a sort of a, a sanctuary that we enter into when we come into there. You know, even in a parking garage, we might think of a parking garage, there's a gate that you have to go through in order to park your car. And you know you have, you have attendants who are going to be caring for the car and make sure that it's treated well and not stolen. What struck me as I read this passage was of our own need. And, on the re- and the reality of this fact that we need to choose a door and we do pick a door in our life. And the call that Jesus has in our passage today is to choose him as our door. The world will tell us that there are many doors that you can pick from. And you could pick anyone that's going to make you happy. In fact, if there's not a door that is already described, maybe you should just make one up for yourself and, and, and put, put your own description on that one. But the, the world treats... Um, the decisions of our life, you know, our selection of a door, kind of like that game show. Like, you know, if you want that uh, car, or if you want a vacation, if you want that kitchen, you know, pick what you want. What's convenient, what gives you meaning, and the world says anything is, is okay. Now, here's the thing, though, is when people live that way, there are consequences. There are, many doors fail to deliver on the promises that are posted on the front of them. Many of, those, many of those promises were lies from the very beginning. And it leaves broken people behind. And after we invest significant time and energy going through those doors, jumping through whatever hoops that we need to go through in order to get uh, what we would hope for, we find the promises were false from the very beginning. Going through the wrong door leaves us morally wrecked, ashamed, guilty, and empty. We leave a string of broken relationships, financial ruin, and meaningless lives behind. The other, those other doors also can't sustain us as we grow older in our bodies, as we grow weaker with age, as sickness comes into our life. And we like to think that, you know, whatever door that I, that I pick, it's going to be okay, that I can live different, I can escape the traps that others have fallen into, that I'm going to have a different result. But inevitably... The human experience, the normal human experience catches up with us and we realize we went the wrong door. We've been wasting our life, we've been wasting our time. Didn't lead where we hoped. I hate to say this, but I believe it's true the vast majority of people around us have bet on the wrong door. It doesn't lead them to the life they want and they only find out until it is too late. There's a number of little, Netflix recently has had a number of called docu-series, right? It's telling a, a true story. Uh, but it's kind of in a store, but it's in a movie like format, a series format. And they've had a number of them recently which have told the stories of otherwise intelligent people uh, getting duped out of giving away tens of thousands of dollars. Tinder, swindler, bad vegan, inventing Anna, they all have that same story. People buying into a certain promise of a certain way of life and investing their time, their energy, their money into it and it ended up being nothing. One of them, called the Tinder Swindler, is about a man who uses a dating app to meet women. He poses as a wealthy son of an oil tycoon. He pretends to have lots of money now and a large inheritance to come. He starts off the relationship lavishing the women with with gifts and attention, trips around the world. But as time goes on, he begins asking for small loans, and he promises to pay them back when an investment comes mature. It's all lies, 
Because he's using that money to fund some other excursion somewhere else. He lies and he lies and he lies and somewhere in the future there's going to be another woman that he tricks in order to to, uh, fund his next ones. But the women kept buying into it until they're out of these tens of thousands of dollars and broken. Otherwise, intelligent people, but people who get deceived by the fun, people who get deceived by the money, people who get deceived by the the promises of companionship, only to discover that it was based on lives and it left them empty. They should have seen them. They could have seen them. If you watch it, you're, you're cringing the whole time because you see them happening, but the false promises leave them ignoring the warning signs. That's the door they chose. It's not just something that happens on TV or with others. It's how many live their lives choosing to live on something but based on false promises. And here's the thing that we want to press home as we look in our passage today. There is one door that you can choose which leads to abundant life. There are doors which make false advertisements all around us. But there is one door that leads to abundant life and that is the door of Jesus Christ. That's the door that will satisfy through the entire course of our lives and ultimately, and most importantly, satisfying all the way into eternity. Look at what Jesus says in verse 10, if you would. Jumping back into verse 10, where he says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus Christ is the door to abundant life. To have all that he promised, you have to, to go through that door. And the promises of the scripture, they're lavish. They are rich. He, he pours out his blessings upon us. That's true. What's different from his door and all these others is he's able to deliver on his promises. In fact, as we see in his death and resurrection, he's already done it. He's already done it. Well, let's look at three aspects of this abundant life. You can follow along in the bulletin if you want to follow along with these three things. We see the finding a life of abundance, keeping the life of abundance, and choosing a life of abundance from these words of Jesus where he says, I am the door. The first thing we want to do is to look at finding a life of abundance and knowing what it is that Jesus opens up to us as the door. He says that he's come to give an abundant life, and it speaks to something about his own glory as he makes his great promise to us. I love to talk about God's glory. It's the thing I love to talk about the most because so often in life and even in many churches, we want, want to make so much of ourselves and our own ha- happiness and our own comforts. We want to speak more about God's glory. But do you see what Jesus does here? He connects God's glory with our own good. As we have abundant life in Christ, you know, God is glorified as the source of life. He shows us two things. He shows us that we, we can have abundant life. And he shows us, secondly, that it's found in him. We start off by knowing why Jesus came. What makes him the door that leads to abundant life? We need to know what abundant life is. So what is it? Uh, I think John 17.3 speaks to this. John 17.3, and this, this is a, a prayer that's called Jesus' high priestly prayer. He's directing it towards his father. And and in this, he speaks about that life that is full, that is satisfying. And he speaks about a life that has no end. Look what he says here. He says, and this is eternal life. Remember, this is a prayer of Jesus to his own father. This is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That is eternal life. What does it mean to have that abundant life? It's in knowing God. 
It's in knowing God. God has created us to know him. God created us to walk in line with his commandments. He, he, he made us to, to worship him. He to, created us to know the joy of fellowship with him. And, and that's the kind of life that brings purpose and meaning, the life that, that leads to community, uh, the, the life that leads to personal growth, uh, the, the, the life that, that gives us the ability to manage ourselves. It's a place of abundance and happiness, and it comes in knowing God. Well, God in the way of that? Well, sin got in the way of that. Adam chose sin. Mankind plunged into sin. But more than that, you and I know that we have each chosen to disobey God's commands, that we have chosen sin as well. And what does sin do? Sin separates. Sin separates us away from a relationship with God. It, it, it creates a separation from that abundance. The life that we're to have is if we're in a relationship with him. Look at Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. Isaiah 59, behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, or his ear dull, that it cannot hear. But look what it says here. But, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he does not hear. You know, as we want to enjoy family, as we enjoy the comfort of, of holidays together, you know, what's the thing that we want to do? We want to, to, to come together. That, that, that separation that we have by time and, and distance and in life, that it comes together and we're able to, to get together in this way. But, but what is broken relationship? What does strained relationships do? It divides. And what does our broken relationship with God caused by sin do? It separates us from him. We've walked a different way. We've walked away. Sin separates and so if Jesus came to give eternal life, to bring this abundant life, what did he have to do to do that? He had to restore that relationship. He had to, to bring that back into cohesion. And that's the reminder for us of what our biggest need in life is. It's the, the dealing with that sin which separates us from God. That also is a separation. As that sin is there, is not dealt with, as it continues to grow and fester, it separates us from the abundant life that God promised. And so as you feel emptiness in life, as you wonder what life is about, if you wonder what makes life worth living, if you wonder if it has purpose, if it feels empty, joyless, loveless, if you feel powerless in it, we see all the results and consequences of separation. As we grasp what the Bible says, we see that we solve it as we solve those issues in Jesus Christ. The ancient writer, St. Augustine, saying, uh, he identified this with his prayer. He said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. Well, what did Jesus do then? If sin blocks us from having that relationship with God, Jesus came to take away that blockage. When he died on the cross, he took all the people, all the sin of his people upon his back. He paid the price so that his people wouldn't have to. He created access to God. He restores that relationship. That's what makes him the door. Look at John 10, 7 again. Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. John 10, 7, truly, truly. I am the door of the sheep. And when we go through that door, we find that we are back with God. That's what 1 Peter 3.18 says. 
1 Peter 3.18 says, For God also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh but alive in the spirit. We call that justification, right? How can God allow uh, you into his presence? Only because you go through the Jesus door. When you believe in Jesus Christ, God forgives your sins, whatever they are. Jesus is the door that leads back to God. Our, our sins need to be forgiven. And that's the reason he's the only way, only door back to God. Because sins need to be forgiven. And he's the only way that that can happen. And we have a great promise when we go through that door that God will forgive our sin. You go to God through Jesus Christ. He accepts you as righteous. Not because you're good. Not because you qualify yourself. But because Jesus is so good. Because Jesus is qualified. He was righteous. He did everything right. And in doing so, he created a doorway to heaven. A doorway to know God. A doorway to eternal life. An abundant life now. Look at verse 9 again. Verse 9. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And will go in and out and find pasture. The good news of the gospel is that God has dealt, provided a way to deal with sin and make it that abundant life possible. It doesn't matter your context, it doesn't matter your situation, how much money you have in your life, whether you're, you're married or single, whether you have chronic disease, uh, whether you're persecuted or free, what job you have, how many kids you have or not, abundant life is available through Jesus Christ. And so if you want to be with God, if you want to know eternal life, Go through the Jesus door. When you do, you know you are with God. Promises of God aren't through any other door. They're only in him. And that's what leads us to our second point. Our second point, we've talked about finding abundant life, life of abundance. The next thing we want to look at is keeping a life of abundance. And at this point, we want to look at the, the call and the need of discerning the messages that we hear. And to do that, we're going to go all the way back to verse 1. Chapter 10, verse 1. Jesus says this, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. So Jesus talks about thieves and robbers here, right? The word thief here in, in, the, in the Greek here is the word we use for kleptomaniac. I mean, it's the, the, the person who steals by quiet deceit. It's like a pickpocket or a shoplifter. Or, or the guy whose story I heard about this morning. It's this guy who stole somebody's lawnmower. And you know what he did before he stole the lawnmower? He mowed the lawn of the, guy's, of the guy he was stealing from in order to do it. Cut it all on camera. The guy actually didn't call about the theft of his lawnmower. He called about the weird person who was mowing his lawn before he stole it. But anyways, klepto, thief. Right? The second word that we have here is the word robber indicates somebody who would steal by violence, like a bank robber or sort of a mugging in the street. You know, metaphors of, of those who would steal uh, what God says is his. It's two metaphors of how the enemy prevents people from having the abundant life that God promises. Now, all of this is part of a, of, of a bigger parable about a shepherd, sheep, and a door. Right? So actually there's two I am statements within just a few verses of each other in this. Next week we're going to talk, or two weeks actually, we're going to talk about Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd, right? This week we're talking about, saying, about Jesus saying, I am the, the door. But guess who's in both of those? Sheep, right? There's a shepherd in next week's time and there's a door in this week's time, but there's sheep. And that's us. 
Now, what do the thief and the robber want to steal? They want to steal the sheep away from the shepherd. That's what their job is. And the metaphor is clear that there are forces in the universe that want to take you away from God. And here's the thing. When they pull people away from God, they also pull people away from any chance for that abundant life that God promises. Thieves and robbers who want to, to take away the abundant life that is found by knowing God. Who, who, who are these? Ultimately, it's the world, the flesh, and the devil. Could demonstrate themselves through a friend, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a family member, even a parent who thinks that you shouldn't follow Jesus. Maybe they entice you to sin, acting on behalf of a world that doesn't want you to know God. Could be the society around us, schools, television, groups, on the internet. I mean, don't begin to think that even the streaming media, platforms, and big movies, those things will help you do eternal life. In fact, those things can even numb us to the abundant life that God promises and really direct us instead to a mediocre life. It could be an institution hating the church of God, persecuting governments, threatening people away uh, from being Christians at the risk of, of personal loss, maybe the loss of a job, maybe a lawsuit of imprisonment, or even his death. That's who they are. How do they work? They work by deception. We see that. Thieves. But they also work by brute force. Robbers. The first will try to lie to make another way of life look attractive. The, the second will threaten with punishment and only leaving compromise as an option. But both are built on the lie that happiness can be found outside of Jesus Christ. And the great work of the enemy is to keep people away from God's abundant life by threats and false promises. And that's what he wants to do with you. That's what he tries to do with God's church. That's how he leads churches to compromise. Here's a huge way. It's in the, the belief that sexual constraints of Christianity will not lead to happiness. They say that the biblical sexual ethic is repressive. In case you don't know, the biblical sexual ethic, it's, it's that sexual intimacy is only to be enjoyed between a biological man and a biological woman within the covenant bonds of a biological male and female marriage. But the thieves and robbers will say that's too constraining. That if a person wants to be truly free, they should have free expression wherever they want with whoever they want. And they, create, they certainly create their own boundaries, but they're not biblical boundaries. As a result, it's created a hookup culture, promiscuity, pro, uh, pornography, homosexuality, transgenderism, all these things connected in a boundaryless way of, of saying, you know what, this message that this world that God has created in God's word is, is, is not good for abundant living. Now, here's the thing, though. Statistic after statistic shows that these behaviors lead to troubles in life, not abundance. Not only are they sins against God, but they actually hurt people who follow them. Personal wealth, health, life expectancy, personal happiness all correspond directly with God's creative design for sexual relationships. Walk in obedience to Christ and the power of Christ, there is abundance. Take another door and you will not find abundance. There are lies about money. Like having a lot of money is abundant life. I mean, that also is a lie. People sacrifice family on the altar of personal affluence. And after sacrificing so much to get it, you know, seeing the brokenness is left behind. Off the saucers, sacrificing the Lord's day. Worship on Sundays, it leads people to, to, to skip children so they can live, live untroubled and financially secure lives. 
Lies, lies, lies. And, and there, there are those and there are many more. What's the solution? It's to go through the door of Jesus Christ. Look what he says in verse 2. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls out his own sheep by name and he leads them out. See, Jesus says that, that robbers try to jump the fence or find another way in. But the correct way is through the front gate of the sheep pen. Right? This image that he has here is the image of a large pen, maybe a community-based sheep pen, where different shepherds would bring their sheep in to, to, to spend the night and have the protection of a gatekeeper. And the gatekeeper knew the shepherds and would open the door to them and pull their own sheep out. I mean, it was really a, a picture of discernment for us. And the picture of discernment that each one of us need in our own lives, whether it's the messages that we hear, the messages that we're believing, that they've gone through the door of Jesus Christ, or whether they've gone through some other door. Is there someone or something? And the thing that you're listening to, is it trying to help you follow Jesus? Or is it trying to pull you away from Jesus? It might be a message that sounds sweet and sentimental. It might seem... Right, and, and, and compassion to a maximum number of people. But the question is, does it help you obey the commands of God? Does it form your character and help you set aside sin? The gatekeeper of the sheep won't let a thief or a robber in. But too many people are letting all kinds of lies into their hearts and their minds. The world, the flesh, and the devil, they will, appear to your, they will appeal to your fears to your worries, to your greed, to your envy, to your anger, your sense of justice. The lies of the world will come in over the wall, but they will not go through the door of Jesus Christ. And so we know a lie. The lie will talk about how great you are, how great another person is, or how great an idea is, but they will ignore Jesus Christ. The thieves and robbers of this world will lie to get your money. They will lie to get your attention. They will lie to get your love or your affection. They will lie to get power from you. They look good. But behind the door of those lies is a wasteland of broken lives and lost time. Don't listen to the messages except the ones that go through the door of Jesus Christ. And that's your job as a, as a discerning person. Is to look at the messages you hear. and to Set aside the ones that don't come through Christ. Ones that aren't consistent with his word. If you look at 1 John 4, 1, we're reminded of this. Where the writer here says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. So we've talked about finding. We've talked about keeping abundant life. Now let's talk about choosing a life of abundance and faith. Faith for walking through that Jesus door. The good news of the gospel is that if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, you have a relationship with God. What does he say in John 10, 9? I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. In the very next verse, I've come that they may have abundant life. If you have a relationship with God, you by definition have abundant life. It's right there with you. It is part of your life. And what's needed then? What is needed? We need to live out that reality. To, to reach out and, and, and take hold of it and to live it out. Why don't we experience it? I mean, it could be because of personal sin. I mean, certain, sin certainly will keep us from enjoying 
the abundant life that God promises. Sin is, is, is empty. The Bible tells us the wages of the sin is death. In other words, that sin will create problems, not blessings. It leads to spiritual death. It leads away from the abundant life of knowing God. Doesn't matter how good that it feels, how right it seems, how much others deserve it, or how much you think you need it. Uh, sin will not lead us into abundant living. There's the guilt that goes along with it. At first, the sin may make us feel guilty, and the abundant life may seem distant. But eventually, as we justify sin as acceptable, our heart grows cold towards God. I mean, personal sin can lead us away from that abundant life, whether it's in guilt or coldness towards God over time. That's another way that the abundant life can seem so distant. It's because of coldness to God. Often this is the result of sin, but it could just be the result of a distracted life. It's a bigger threat than we probably take for granted. That's why we need that constant warming of our hearts you know, under um, you know, in, in, in the presence of God, in the fire of, 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 of his word, time in prayer, time together with God's people, the importance of care groups is remembering, you know, God, would you warm my heart? Would you warm my heart towards you? Would you draw me towards you? I want the abundant life that you promise. Another thing is we can have false expectations of life in this world. Sometimes maybe we, we do have this abundant life, but we just, you know, we recognize the trials of life make us think that, that, there's, that there's something that we're missing. Just because we hit difficulty, it doesn't mean that we're missing out on abundant living. The abundant life is more than how it's the abundant life is more about how we live our lives, no matter what happens. That even in the midst of our difficulties, our sufferings, our loss, our grief, that we can live in the abundant promises of God and knowing his and, and, and knowing the joy of fellowship with him. Sometimes people think that if there's bad things that are happening inside my life, maybe I've done something wrong, and, and that's not always the case. But instead, abundant life changes the way that we approach those difficulties. It starts with knowing there's a God who loves us, who's given everything for us, who brings hope and love and joy and peace to us in every situation. And so what's key for us is to, to take a hold of the abundant life that you have is to remember those things. Remembering his love, remembering how he paid for your sin. Remembering that he's available to you through, through, through prayer. He cares for you, he's present with you in, in, in the issues that you face. Remembering what he's already done. Maybe a big part of, of our life is, is just being thankful for what he's done and, and giving thanks for the abundance that he's given. Maybe even today or this week you could talk about the abundance that God has brought into your life. You know, can you see his tender care that he's already shown you? And what you need to do is just recognize the things that he's already done. Remember that abundant life is only found in Jesus Christ. Don't fall into the lies that say that we can disregard the commands of God and be happy. Recognize that the commands are given to us as boundaries which lead in the direction of abundance, of abundant living. And recognize that the fuel to get there, the power to get there is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ himself. It's not that we're going to get there by ourselves or, or even go over, you know, that we're going to avoid going over these boundaries ourselves. It's we say focus on the Lord Jesus Christ, asking him to direct us step by step towards that finish line as we look towards the end. In, in knowing these promises that God has given to us in his word, which remind us who we are and begin to fuel us in who Christ is and what he's done.
and what we have in him. Let him guide your decisions through the scripture, through the Holy Spirit. Sin will not lead to a happy life, just guilt, shame, regret, broken relationships. But now that you know God, now that you have been restored to God, you have new desires. You have desires to follow his commands. And, that, and that's what he gives by faith. Before you were a Christian, you wouldn't have had a desire for God's will and a desire for God's commands. You'd have done whatever you thought would make you happy, even if it led you into sin against God. But now you're a Christian. What, what, what he does is he gives new desires for his will and his commands. You know, we, we don't follow them perfectly, but they're powerful enough that they begin to shape our decisions and they direct us towards that end. If you want life, whatever has happened in the past, whatever you've done, if you go through Jesus, you can have that life. He accepts you through Christ. Look at what John 6.37 says. John 6.37 gives a wonderful promise. He said, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. You can imagine, you know, the sinner coming to the door, which is labeled Jesus Christ. What does he do? He opens. He welcomes. You, you come to me in faith. You come to me in repentance. Jesus accepts us. No matter what the past is, no matter what shame and guilt that, that we have, if we come to him by faith, he doesn't kick us out. Go through the doorway, mark Jesus Christ, and live. That's the way of abundant life. Admit that you sinned before God. Believe that Jesus Christ has take, taken away your sins through his death and resurrection and commit to him to live a life by faith, trusting in him for your abundant living. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you created us for abundant life. God, we have rejected that in the way that we have chosen sin. God, we have rejected that by that, that life that you've offered. But God, in your mercy, you opened a way to abundant life again. God, you sent Jesus to be the doorway to be with you. And so, Father, that's the door that we choose. We choose Christ. We repent of our sin. We believe in the Lord Jesus. We thank you for your mercy and your love. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you, God, for the abundant life that is for us in him. God, by your grace, we ask you to help us to walk in that. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll stand together. Our closing hymn is on.